HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, April 27th. We are back from spring break, and this is our 103rd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an amazing food and travel writer, editor, and co-founder of a new website focusing on the Americas. I will introduce her in a moment. First, as we do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of of the week. So today's tip is to trust your journey. Be true to yourself and follow your heart, creating the life you want to live. What works for you may not work for others. There is simply not one correct way to live or one career path to take. So be true to yourself and listen to your inner voice, as life is not one size fits all. That's my tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guest here, who I was just with on the West Coast at the Worlds of Flavors Conference. It is Marie Elena Martinez, co-founder of New Worlder, a brand new website focusing on food, culture, and travel in the Americas. Marie Elena has traveled the world as a freelance food and travel writer, visiting six continents in over 60 countries and contributing to publications including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Miami Herald, Condé Nast Traveler, and Wallpaper City Guides. She was the founding editor of The Latin Kitchen and creator of Meats NYC, as well as a Lat AM consultant for corporate brands including Unilever. Welcome. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. It's been a, it's been a great week. We had a lot of fun in Napa Valley. We did. We'll have to talk about that a we little later will. in the show. So 
your career, your career path is, is it fascinates me. And I, yeah, it's very Mm -hmm. cool. So how did you get into freelance food and travel writing initially? Um, you know, it's, it's a funny story. I started my career, um, in PR. I was a publicist and I started my first 10 years of kind of career life at News Corps as a publicist for HarperCollins. I was in the literary space. I loved to write. I was an English major in college and I just didn't have the right stories necessarily to tell. When I turned 30, I looked at my boss who was 40 at the time and I hope she's not listening. Um, (laughs) but I knew I didn't want to be her, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I wanted to go out and have experiences and to really kind of get my hands dirty and stop being behind a desk. Um, New York is very myopic like that, and I just felt stuck. So I bought a ticket to Quito, Ecuador, and that began kind of the journey of the lifetime. Quito only because it was the cheapest ticket out of New York. So it was $263, and I felt like I could afford that, and it would get me to Latin America, South America specifically. I could go to the Galapagos, do some scuba diving. And that started me on this journey. I started a blog at my sister's insistence. I loved writing on it, every city I got to. And after about four years on the road, back and forth, when I came back to New York and kind of worked through all of that, I was like, I think the way to create this space for myself is to write about other cultures and what I've experienced. So that's how it, that kind of how it started. Wow. You answered my question because I was going to ask why Ecuador and you explained that. But, <laughs> Scuba diving. But back, back up a, a little bit because sure. that's four, four years on the road. So how did you make it? Like, how did you get your first writing gig? And freelance is hard. Oh, you God, hustle. it's so hard. Um, you know, when I finally came back from all of this, um, I was trying to figure out how to sustain my life. And um, my a friend of mine was like, you should just take a travel writing course. Like, start there instead of trying to bite off writing the next Eat, Pray, Love or whatever. Um, <laughs> so I did that. I actually took a Media Bistro travel writing course with um, a, an instructor named James Sturtz, who is now a prolific travel writer. And I really... It just gelled. And everything I wrote in that course has actually been published today. So all of kind of my drafts were giving me courage, if you will. So what I did was I... I was a publicist, remember, so right. I was always talking with these lifestyle editors at all of these papers around the country, so I you know, used my PR skills to take out my Rolodex, dust it off, and I emailed the book editor, who was also the travel editor at Newsday, who I had worked with a whole bunch of times, and Newsday was my hometown paper. I grew up on Long Island. And I said, hey, like, this is what I've been up to. Like, can I try my hand at writing for you? I'll do it on spec, and if you like it. And she said, yeah, sure. So I wrote about Playa del Carmen, Mexico, way back, it was 2009, I guess, or 2010. And um, I sent it to her, and she put it on the front of the tra- they still have a standalone travel section and she put it on the cover of the travel section and she said okay like what's next and that was something that was I was pro- very prolific with Newsday um, I wrote some of their New York section pieces but my second published piece about travel was in the Wall Street Journal and that was about the opening of the Dubai um, Giorgio Armani Hotel 
And then, you know, if, if those are the first two pubs not that, bad, not yeah, bad. <laughs> it was kind of smooth sailing from them. I feel very lucky and I'll knock on whatever wood is here in the studio. Um, there's a lot of wood. There's a lot of wood. Sure. Um, it was, it was lucky breaks for me, but it was, it, it, it's a, I guess about networking and about not burning your bridges and connections, which this industry is famous for. Um, so that's kind of how I started. So when you were traveling, you were initially just blogging. I was. Okay. I, it, and it was called a web blog then. Like, it was so early. In the, it was in on the WordPress. Right. I'm, I'm like, age, aging myself here. But, um, it, and I was resistant. Like, what is this? I, it's my diary online. Like, I didn't really get what it was and why I should share it. And, you know, when I was early on in Santiago, Chile, um, Elizabeth Gilbert was on the Today Show with Eat, Pray, Love. And I got all of these emails, people saying, like, she stole your story. (laughs) But at the same time, I realized this is something. Like, what I'm doing is something. And that kind of propelled me forward and really gave me, like, just total ambition. Yeah. So when you traveled, how how long were you staying? In I would probably cities? do like three to four months, three to five months in like on a continent okay. or around a continent, and then I'd come home and I'd I'd had I was in my thirties, so I had weddings and you know my sister was engaged and things to be home for, and then I would kind of change out, like get my hair cut, <laughs> go again, and it was very addictive. Um, when the world is your oyster and your education and you're an adult and can appreciate it, um, it's very addictive. So that's kind of how I did it. I took breaks, mm-hmm. but um, I always went back. I spent every penny that I had on all of those travel experiences. And when I finally stopped after about four years, I was broke and depressed that I couldn't do any more but, like, fiscally, I just couldn't. <laughs> so I had to figure out what the next step was. So the next step was writing. Yes. And then you started with the Latin Kitchen. Well, when did that come about? So um, uh, in 2012, I guess, I was on a high. I, I was writing regularly for a ton of different places. And um, there was a particular Sunday. I'll never forget it. Um, it was April 15th, 2012. And I had the front of the Boston Globe travel section on Puerto Rico, the front of the Miami Herald travel section on, I think it was um, Montevideo, and I had uh, my first article in the New York Times, Metro section, and I, on one Sunday, and I, like, it was like Nirvana, and um, (laughs) at that point, I was like, I'm never going in-house, I'm corporate whatever, like, no way, I'm a freelancer and I'm proud, and the next day, the Latin Kitchen kind of knocked on my door, which was owned by Latina Magazine. It was a blank URL at the time. Um, they were looking for a founding editor to really shepherd a food and travel site into being. Um, it was sold to me as something that was going to be different than the audience of Latina Magazine, which owns it. Um, and I resisted for a little while, but at the same time, I also saw that there was this opportunity to write about a space which is close to my heart, and I'm sure we'll be talking about Latin America, 
in a way that wasn't being done before. And I really, because I don't come from a magazine background, and because I wasn't a product of kind of this this community of writers that came up from assistant to editors, I really was a little bit naive about the um, idea of being owned by a, an actual corporate brand. So, and and they're not that corporate, but they're right. still, you know, there's still money that's paying the bills for these particular publications. So for me, I had pie in the sky eyes, like, oh my god, I'm going to create this lush, cre- you know, Latin American themed food and travel publication. But it was governed, obviously, by ad dollars. And that setup was very quickly um, brought to my attention. And I couldn't really do what I wanted to do. And it devolved very quickly into a recipe site, into a site that was, um, you know, beholden to dollars. And it didn't line up with my editorial sensibilities. Um, So I am super proud of what I did with that site in the early Mm -hmm. days. It but recipes and just regurgitating recipes wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell bigger stories, and I wanted to tell deeper stories. Um, so two years in, I removed my one year, and I removed myself. I continued as a consultant for them, and two years in, I decided with um, Nicholas Gill, who's now my co-founder and partner on New Worlder, to bite the bullet to go back to freelancing if you will or maybe founding I don't know what you call what I what I am now co-founder freelancer great I'm like yeah very different hats (laughs) um but create something that was more in the genre of what we wanted to do so I took all of the knowledge that I created at Kitchen and that I learned and the I mean I made amazing contacts. Mm-hmm. This was the first time that I was entrenched as A an editor, B as kind of a a a, a head of something, um, a creative talent. This was all very new for me and I, I'm indebted to Latina for trusting me with that because it taught me so much. Um, and I was able to use that as a stepping stone to create where I am now, continue the conversation about Latin America, and um, deepen the relationships that I started at Kitchen with something that I think is a little more authentic and in line with my uh, original goals. It's amazing. <laughs> we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk more about this new website you're talking about, New Worlder. Great. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. One and only Dave Arnold brings the noise to Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday on Cooking Issues. Coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick and Brooklyn. 
if the bomb was going to drop and you only had 15 minutes, which is like, I can, I can make a sandwich in 15 minutes. You'd be eating a sandwich. I'd kiss my wife, make a sandwich. If you believe that it's all about to be over, why eat healthy? I'm not a freaking Neanderthal. I like a tempered ice cream sandwich. But it's the only way to get around it if you're a party master because you, you're going to wind up, like, your kitchen's going to fill with dishes. And is Some there... people have commercial dishwashers in their house. Who? I've seen them. Who? I've seen them. Who? <laughs> really rich people. <laughs> For more mile-a-minute knowledge from Dave and the crew, listen to Cooking Issues, available on Heritage Radio Network, iTunes, and Stitcher. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Maria Elena Martinez. She's the co-founder of New Worlder, which is a brand new website that's focusing on food, culture, and travel in the Americas. So, hi. hi. <laughs> so, New Worlder launched, what, six weeks ago? Literally. Okay. Um, February 24th, I think, is the actual date. Yeah. It had a bunch of stops and starts. I mean, it... Launching a website is tough. <laughs> Don't let well, anybody tell you different. <laughs> no, true. And I mean, it's 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 beautiful. And Thank you. and so tell me the stories that you're doing and covering and sure. and why why focus on the Americas? Sure. Um, I think as I started to travel and you know just going back to my background and my world travel, I always just kept finding my heart deepen in Latin American countries, like the culture, the food, the people, the history, the heritage, the the, the oral stories. I, it's so rich and it's so deep. And um, I always found myself in food spaces that it was if there was no cultural divide or difference, you know, religion, politics, ethic, none of it matters when you're sitting at a table. So this space for me always had a really specific place in my heart. Um, being with Kitchen and really kind of honing what they were doing or trying to hone what they were doing gave me an even deeper love of this space. And I felt that it's one of the largest communities in the United States that, you know, a hot button topic, but sometimes it's overlooked in terms of the richness and beauty. It's always so political. And it's not being talked about, at least I don't think. Now it is a little bit more, but in 2012 and 2011, it wasn't being talked about in a really authentic way. It was best lists for, you know, going to Cancun or whatever it might right. be. And I have seen kind of Lima and Mexico City. I've been traveling these spaces for 10 and 15 years and watching. I mean, the first time I was ever in Lima, Gaston Acurio had just opened Gastrid y Gaston and was in the kitchen, like, slinging dishes, and the restaurant was half empty. Like, that trajectory for me is vast, and I wanted to talk about it. And I wanted to talk about the millions of kinds of potatoes. And I wanted to talk about, you know, masa and nixtamalization and Mexican food in New York City. Like, I, these were things that I noticed out of my experience. Nicholas Gill is the same way. I mean, he's very prolific about the Americas, and he was seeing the same thing. So we weren't seeing it in long form, and we were only seeing it on best lists. So when he was writing for me at Kitchen, we became buddies, and we started talking, and when I left, we were just like, let's do it ourselves. Like, we can do this. And... For the past couple of years, we've been working on design, and all of our teams of writers around the world, and 
all of these things that go into website production and learning. And you now see the fruit of all of that labor. So you have a team of writers around the world. Correct. Okay, so they're they're freelancers spe- around the world, but they're in those cities for the most part. Right. Um, we're not just hiring someone and having them go down to Mexico City for two days and come back with seventy six stories. We are talking to the people on the ground there. We also know all the chefs, so you know when something is happening. With X, Y, or Z chef in X, Y, or Z country, we it's really easy for us to just tap some of that information from not only people on the ground, but our, the chefs who've become our right. friends. Right. Well, because you're connected and you've been working in yeah, this field for course, a while. Yeah, of course. We just are excited to tell bigger stories about the Americas um, not that aren't being told in a much more long-form way. We really are averse to best lists and things that kind of break it down too much um, and are excited to shine a light on the things that aren't being shared. Yeah, well, a lot of websites now have become lists. Listicles are very popular. I was looking through the website and just a few of the a few of the titles that caught my eye. I mean, you have <laughs> tell me. Miami embraces the greatness of goat. Correct. There's a huge movement of using goat meat in Miami. Like who knew? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Then there was a a great Peru can call its own. Yep. Um, yeah. Yep. Colombia before cocaine. Well, that was that actually was a really funny story. So Bill Sardal, who is the former travel editor from Gourmet, has um, he sought us out like early in the process of this new world or thing and he was just like it sounds like what you're doing is amazing how can I get involved and one of the things over a lunch was like I traveled Columbia way before it was cool to travel Columbia we're like so you should write a story for us he's like how about we call it Columbia before cocaine and we were just like yes it's a catchy title (laughs) catchy title so who's who's your audience like who are you aiming to to get as readers i think that the audience is an intelligent curious savvy traveler um who really is uh, interested in kind of the food ways and the cultures and the traditions everybody travels now because of food we know this but we're interested in um the traveler who wants to go a little bit deeper in the america's based on kind of food. And I'll give you a quick anecdotal story that kind of encapsulates it. Um, We were at Worlds of Flavor this weekend, which you know, and um, one of the participating chefs is from Tabasco, Mexico. Her name is Gabby Ruiz. She's 28 years old. She is a spark plug. She is an amazing... I mean... Yeah. I didn't realize she was 28. (laughs) She's 28. And she's (laughs) this unbelievable, amazing talent. But she's in Tabasco, which is on the south of the Gulf of Mexico. And it's a state that people don't really travel to that much. Um, she does a dish there, which is indigenous to Tabasco, and it's called verde, which is green in Spanish. And it's made from, it's jungle down there, and it's made with all these indigenous leaves, and they're put in a mocajete or a mortar and pestle, and they're ground down into a rich green sauce. At CIA, she wanted to present this dish because it's emblematic of her state. But in Napa, she can't get... The, the actual greens that you would need to create her verde. So she did the research and created the flavor profiles that were similar of plants that were growing in Napa and used those plants that were growing in Napa to recreate a version of verde that she presented at CIA. And I think that encapsulates the kind of stories that we want to tell, how they apply not only to 
regions in Latin America, but can also transcend to create an oral history of a similar story, and it shines a light on the region of Tabasco through the eyes of a chef that you wouldn't necessarily know about, but when you're in that area, I mean, it's semi-close to Tulum, if you will. It's not too, too far in terms of location. You may tack on an extra couple of days and go to the jungles of Tabasco because you had read this great story about Gabby Ruiz and what she's doing to infuse her state with heritage and culture in a bigger way. So if that, if that kind of embraces yeah. what we're doing and how it translates... That's what I would kind of say really is, is what we're excited about. Yeah, no, that excites me. And yeah. I'm the type of person that totally would do that. So that's our reader, <laughs> you. I am your reader. <laughs> Let me ask you, this is a good tie-in to my question I had on, on my show with Josh Beckerman. I asked okay. him to ask you a question. Sure. He's, he's the foodie magician, for okay. anyone who doesn't know. Okay. Um, so he wanted to know, what city has the best dining in South America, and will you take him with you when you go? Well, that's a loaded question. It is a loaded. Okay. But I guess but, he's basically looking for advice. Like, where should he go? He said he had never been to Latin America. Okay. So I think in Latin America, it would probably be Mexico City or Lima that are maybe the most exciting right now in terms of food and culture and heritage. And they're they're hot and there's a lot of information out there to be had. If you go a little bit more under the radar, Santiago in Chile is experiencing a culinary boom and you have something really amazing going on in La Paz, uh, Bolivia where a young female chef named Camila Seidler is working with Melting Pot and Klaus Meyer to um, be at the forefront of fine dining with a restaurant called Gusto and she is just one fucking rock star chef if I may say that out loud Um, and really putting La Paz on the map so that would be my abbreviated version and he can absolutely come with me if he has strong arms because I tend to overpack. <laughs> Done deal. I want to come too. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. You're a good travel partner. I know that for firsthand. Oh, thank you. I I mean, I finally finally got to to Buenos Aires last year. Okay. It was the first time down in South America and I feel um now I'm all these places I want to go. Look, I love Buenos Aires. When I was 30 years old, I swore I was never coming back from Buenos Aires. But it's one of those places that is infectious. It has a European flair to it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not as intrepid as maybe it once was. And right now, I mean, you can get anything practically for free. So go. Yes, yes. Travel, travel. (laughs) Yes. Where I spend all my money and time. Hello, me too. Food and travel. (laughs) So let let's let's talk a minute about your Meets NYC, which is sure. another project, different hat, different <laughs> hat that somehow you you make happen. Sure. Um, how did that come about? So Meets was uh, Meets New York City was a it was random. I was at the time I was at the Latin Kitchen. I had been spending a lot of time in Baja Mexico, um, the northern part, Baja California, which is just under Tijuana. There's an unbelievable wine region called Valle Guadalupe, and we're going back now to probably 2011. And I was really ju- I fell in love with the region and I fell in love with the wines and the people and the chefs and it, at now everyone's talking about Baja but then it was very much under the radar and the chefs from that region and I were like let's shine a light on 
Mexican wines and Baja foods. At the time, wine enthusiasts had named it one of their destinations for 2012 or maybe 2013. And so we just decided on a lark to create in conjunction with Mexico Tourism and Delta and kind of, again, my PR hat went on to create all these different connections. Um, a program where we brought chefs from Baja and winemakers from Baja in for ticketed dinners, and we called it Baja Meets New York. Um, it was great, and it worked, so I incorporated the brand as Meets New York City, and last year we pulled off Puerto Rico Meets New York, which was our second in the series. It'll always be a different destination, but it encompasses food, travel, culture, the things that I love, and events, which goes back to my PR background and kind of puts it all together on a New York stage. So one of the characters is always New York and the New York chefs that open their kitchens for the visiting chefs who go in and create these mashup menus that are one night only and they're ticketed. And then we usually do um, a big walk around with street food on the last day. We actually had our Puerto Rico meets New York right, here. and party here at Roberta's in the garden, which was pretty amazing. And we roasted pigs and... Um, and I can't tell you the next destination, but we are nailing down. It's non-Latin. Um, mm. I know. It's like a whole new world for me. Um, but our next destination is imminent to be announced. And it's just another fun project that incorporates food, travel, chefs, heritage, and uses a completely different part of my brain. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> exciting. I, I mean, how do you balance all of this? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> wine. Yeah. I, wine. Wine great. helps for sure. Um, a lot of great friends. You know, this industry is really, really welcoming and a really, you know, a really, really convivial group and a generous group. And I've been very lucky in it. So I'm surrounded by great people. Um, I don't get tired of my job. I think that's the key to life, to love what you do, mm -hmm. to be surrounded by people that you love. And when you need to take a break, take a time out. And luckily enough, I get to travel and eat when I do that. So great advice <laughs> great time to take a little break here sure and we're going to come back and do my speed round game and talk some Terrific. industry news love it so stay with us this is all in the industry on heritage radio network
just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Marie Elena Martinez. It's time for my speed round game. Okay. Okay. What this is, I name two or more things. You just pick your preference. Okay. All right. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Depends on how hungry I am. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Uh, Hot topic. I like tip. I like um, all-inclusive. You don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's still evolving, though, and I want to make sure that your people are taken care of. So I'm torn until a little bit further, but as a diner, it's way easier. Yeah, I get that. Solo travel or solo dining? Hmm. Solo travel because because it includes solo dining. Ah, I love it. <laughs> How about this? This is this is my favorite of this round. Here we go. Zingerman's or Katz's? Zingerman's. We didn't mention uh, we, this, but we're both U of M We're grads. both U of M. Go, go blue. blue. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? I just moved to Brooklyn. Brooklyn! Brooklyn! <laughs> very cool. You're very good at the game. <laughs> it wasn't that hard. Well, so funny you said that because, well, we just had a surprise visitor here, Laura Kate Whitney, and she played my game and she thought, she said it was the hardest game ever. So really? It's all perception. I guess so. <laughs> I know, or listening. nerves. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Some people get might get a little, um, I don't know. People take it very seriously. Like, sort of like, this is like, I don't know, take I'm going to hold them to this. I don't take too much that seriously. Yeah, but, no. <laughs> Very good. Okay, industry news. So last night was the James Beard Foundation Awards for Book, Broadcast, and Journalism. Yes, yes. What I was watching very closely. Yes, it was held here in New York because next week um, is the restaurant awards that take yeah. place in Chicago now. So um, You're going, yes? I am going. Cool. Are you going? I am not. I am not. You'll follow along taking, on Twitter? Yeah, I will. I'm taking a break, decorating my new Brooklyn apartment. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I am going. I was not at this these uh, broadcast awards last night, okay. but... Um, I, you know, saw the list. I'm very happy. Lots of lots of exciting news. Some new names yeah, out there that won. Definitely. Um, the big, well, I think one of the biggest ones was Food Blog and Publication of the, of the Year went to Lucky Peach. Which I, doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, th- I actually think they do a really great job. Mm-hmm. Um, they're random. They're varied. They're relevant. They're, I mean, in, in, incisive. They're, they're tongue-in-cheek. They're a lot of great things that when you put them all together it really makes for for great reading um so that doesn't really surprise me that much yeah no i was happy to see that one and 
a book highlight, I was happy to see that um, Michael Anthony's book, uh, in, the, in the vegetable yeah. focus category, V is for vegetables. Um, he I won. saw that. Yeah, I mean, if you've had some of his dish, I mean, some of yeah. those dishes at Untitled, those amazing. vegetable dishes are just beautiful and amazing and forward thinking, and I, that didn't surprise me that much either. What I did like to see was that Israel is front and center. Um, there's a half, yeah, yeah, Michael Solomonov, who's uh-huh. coming here. You know, I mean, it's one of those things yeah. that you. Over the last year, I've kind of watched the kernels of Israeli chefs and Israeli cooking making their way into the mainstream, and I'm I'm really excited to see that evolve, and it was nice to see him recognized in two categories. Yeah, no, very true. Um, the other one that I was really excited about um, was LA Magazine's Bill Esparza and Leslie Souter. They are doing phenomenal general interest pub. Um they are doing great, great, great reportage on the scene in L.A., and they really do a lot of lot of great work and shine light on Latin American and a lot of Mexican chefs, and I, I couldn't be more excited about that. I, I really shout out um, to them. And the piece that I loved the most that I was thrilled to see win, because I'm a chicken finger whore... Um, you said it. it. <laughs> is Helen Rosner's piece for uh, in Guernica about chicken fingers. I thought it was fantastic, and it was nice to see it recognized. Yeah, she came on my show a while ago talking yeah. about Sever, their, okay. their 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 book when it came out. Yeah. Um, I haven't read that article. So oh, you've got to read it. Yeah. It's so good. I don't know how much of a chicken finger person you are. I, I mean, mean, I wouldn't say I'm like a diehard like you, but I'm I I, I like a good chicken finger dish. You like a good finger? (laughs) Don't go there. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So, anyways, anyone who wants to check out um, to see the rest of the winners, you can go to jamesbeard.org. Congrats to all of them. It's really such an honor. Yeah, it really is. To be nominated and and the winners, um, it is a huge honor, and I'm very happy for for everyone. Yeah, next week will be fun also. I'm excited to see some of those chefs um, take it home. There's a lot of deserving names on that list. Yeah, absolutely. So, very very exciting. Other exciting news. So, we mentioned earlier, we were both at the Worlds of Flavor Conference. This was the 19th annual International Conference and Festival in Napa Valley. It takes place at the Culinary Institute of America in gorgeous Greystone oh. in Napa. And um, our friend Anne McBride curates the entire thing and she, she just rocks. Oh, she deserves yeah. props upon props upon props. It was so well done. It was. It was seamlessly executed and the lineup, the chefs and, and presenters and everyone involved is just, it, it's so impressive. It's an international list and chefs, uh, I mean, you had uh, uh Everyone from Christopher Costow to Virgilio Martinez to, to Elena, Pablo, Elena Arzak. Elena Arzak. Yeah. Oh my God. And Pablo Salas. I mean, there. it was just wall to wall. It really was. Um, I was excited to that I, I was presented for two Spanish chefs who didn't speak any English. Yeah. And so we had translator. You and rocked it. I, um, I was just. 
I was so thrilled to meet them and yeah. to learn about their cuisine and region because they were both from Andalusia, which mm-hmm. is the southern part of Spain, yep. which I've been to Seville or Sevilla many years mm-hmm. ago, but I just wasn't familiar at all with what with was cuisine. happening there. Yeah. And now I, I want to go. I mean, well, I think it's there's been so much focus on. Basque. There's been so much mm-hmm. focus on Barcelona and Costa del Sol. So and now it's moving south. I mean, Spain's a big and beautiful, like kind of like Mexico. There's mm-hmm. so much there. So it's nice to see the spotlight come south for sure. Yeah. No. It was. It that was just a, a huge, a huge takeaway for mm-hmm. me. And you presented or for five different <laughs> yes, talks. I had a lot going on. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, but it was yeah. fantastic. Um, I presented uh, five of the Latin American panels. Um, two were focused on Peru with Virgilio Martinez, um, Misha Samura, and of course Pedro Shafino, who are all doing very different things in Peru, in Lima and beyond, whether it's Amazon, whether it's kind of Nikai style, or whether it's altitudinal, which is the way that Virgilio cooks. He kind of cooks by ecosystem. And um, it was it was an honor, really an honor, to present with those guys, their chefs and friends. And um, But then, in addition, I mean, I, I did a panel with Maricel Priscilla, who might be the doyen of Latin American food. I mean, really, the woman is the foremost culinary historian on the Americas. Um, Who's from here, Cuba. from New Jersey. She's from New Jersey. Well, she has restaurants, restaurants in yeah. New Jersey, yeah. but she's Cuban originally, and she presented with Adolfo Garcia, who's out of New Orleans, and he's Panamanian, and we just talked about this shelf, this Caribbean shelf that people forget is Caribbean-inspired in Panama and, and Colombia, and they just, I mean, the arepas and you know, the, the yuca dishes, it was wonderful and, and really interesting. Um, and then I did two Mexican panels, one with Gabby Ruiz, as we said, and um, one with Claude Beltran, some of the chefs from Oyamel in D.C., Jose Andres' place. So it was, for me at least, um, such a celebration of the Americas and really getting to work and present with these chefs. And, you know, it, it bears mention that Enrique Alvera and Pablo Salas and Rick Bayless, and there were so many people in this, that space mm-hmm. there, which was, I mean... Uh, thank you, Anne. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much, Anne. The theme this year was on fire. It was yeah. definitely on fire. Uh, culture, passion, invention in Europe and the Americas. And along with seminars and workshops, there was this magnificent world marketplace yes. tasting for a few different. There was lunch, there was dinner. There was three. Yeah. And the quality of food, uh, it was just, it was really, really Off stellar. The chart. Yeah, impressive. I was just honored to be there and a part of it. I agree. And it was fun. There, and there were some panels that, you know, aren't necessarily things that I knew so well, but Southern food and just, mm-hmm. you know, Sarah Simmons and Tanya Holland and these American chefs doing really interesting things. Um, highlighted as well, regional American food, which is is so incredibly important to our own history. Yes. Um yeah, can't say enough about Me it. Me too. And go, everybody go. Yeah, they announced next year the the Worlds of Flavor Conference will be April twenty sixth to twenty eighth. The theme is casual by design, which I think is cool. Uh just shout outs to Jan Smith and Jacqueline Chi Chi um and Anne McBride again uh. for just a, a wonderful, wonderful um, conference, and thank you for having us. Yeah, it's a really great, really great. Event. And uh, anyone who wants to check it out, go to worldsofflavor.com. Yes. 
And on that note, we're going to take one more break, come back, and I'm going to do my solo dining experience. Cool. All in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. To all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is at Cezanne. Here's the rundown. Location, 178 Townsend Street in San Francisco, California. The concept, high-end new American restaurant, which boasts an acclaimed tasting menu served in snug open kitchen digs. The chef, Joshua Skeens. Why did I go? Because it's Saison, ranked number 56 on San Pellegrino's World's Best List. My experience. So I made a reservation in the salon, which had an option for an a la carte menu rather than the 398 tasting menu. It's $398 tasting menu. So this was a little um, less expensive option and it was ideal for me as a solo diner. I had a lovely seat at the bar that had a mirror backdrop so I could see all of the restaurant and kitchen action, which was taking place behind me. Service was amazing. It was warm, friendly, and utmost professional. What did I get? Well, they started me with a complimentary wine country soda, a non-alcoholic Chardonnay, and then they sent me white sturgeon caviar to start my dinner, which was divine. I then had sea urchin on grilled bread, lobster grilled over embers, and fire in the sky beet. And all three of the little desserts they sent out, the smoked ice cream, orange citrus sorbet, and tiny strawberries with cream. My take, every dish was rich in flavor, beautifully presented, and unique. It was all heavenly. The scene, it's a casual, elegant ambiance with pop rock as the soundtrack. I had a moment of reflection when Prince's Let's Go Crazy played. Oh. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> the guests looked like a mix of locals and out-of-towners. Our friends from Wild Air and Contra, the chefs um, from New York City, were also dining there that evening. I'd say it's perfect for a special night out. Interesting tidbit. Cezanne, which is French for season, is one of the two three Michelin star restaurants in San Francisco, the second being Banu, which did not take solo diners on Friday and Saturday night. So they they lost me for the weekend. (laughs) Personal fun fact. After dinner, I spontaneously scalped a ticket to the San Francisco Giants baseball game at AT AT&T Park, which was a block away, and I enjoyed a few innings of the game, which which was against the Miami Marlins, my home team. Yes, I did a three-star Michelin restaurant and then went to a baseball game. That's awesome. By myself. (laughs) (laughs) So the cost of my dinner was $110. That is including 
the tax and uh, gratuity. Would I go back? Absolutely. Their website is saisonsf.com. That's S-A-I-S-O-N-S-F.com. So I loved it. Cool. I know you did. I saw you <laughs> right after it. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a, it was a pretty great it, dinner. It sounded like one for sure. Yeah. Recommend. Highly. Highly. Well, we also tried The Progress, which... The Progress was awesome, too. It was really, really good. Yeah, and it was good to be there with yeah, you and Anne it was and really share nice. dishes. And mm-hmm. I did a solo dining, and so did you, I think. I copied you at Cotonia. Yes, I had lunch there. I had dinner, and we had that amazing ricotta and oh. egg raviolo. Oh, delicious. So... Yeah, San Francisco dining. Good it's, stuff. It's up there. It's up there. I, I feel like I conquered a little bit of my list. You but. conquered so much, <laughs> Sherry. I was like sleeping late and going to bed early. I you tried. were out there. I tried. <laughs> San Francisco. Yeah. All right. So it's time for the final question. Cool. Okay. So next week, my guests are Alex McCreary and Jenny Goodman. They are the founders of Tillit Chef Goods, which is gear inspired by cooks and chefs. So it's a it's a new chefware line. Yeah, I took a peek at their website earlier today. I didn't know them. They're here in Brooklyn. They are. They are. Um, so I guess my question for them would be: Right now, I feel like chefware. If you, if, I guess that's what I'll call it, is having a moment. You have all of these different companies doing really interesting things with chefware. So my question is a little more. Specific to them, what differentiates their line, would they say, from some of the others that are out there and kind of making headway? Good question. Okay. Can't wait. I'll listen next week. Very cool. (laughs) And that's the show. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Can I can I shout out my website? You can go ahead. I, I had, yeah, go, uh, do the shout out. I've been talking to Maria Elena Martinez. She's the co-founder of New Worlder, a brand new website focusing on food, culture, and travel in the Americas. So what's, what's the website? www.newworlder.com. And I hope that you will all check it out. Yes. And what about social media? Oh, new, um, new. on Twitter, we're at new underscore worlder. Mm-hmm. And on Instagram, we're at the new worlder. So we have, okay. and Facebook is new worlder. So we're going to, we're going to make all of those equal <laughs> so that they're not so confusing. But anyway, yeah, Twitter is new underscore worlder and Instagram is the new worlder. So we'll see you there. Yes, please. Everyone, go check it out. It's awesome. Congratulations. Shari, thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. I feel like I'm in your living room just, like, hanging out. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it does feel that way. So um, thank you all for listening. I'm Sherry Bayer. Follow me on social media at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. Check out my Facebook page, All in the Industry, and my website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. I'll be back next week with another live show. Thanks to my fabulous engineer, Jack Inslee. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.